come. But uh, what I would like to do today is this uh, particular title of this message is also the proposition. Uh, proposition is what you should walk away from here, um, hopefully putting into practice in your life. And the proposition comes from Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse 5, which tells us, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Um, so, let this mind be in you. One of the goals that we have in Calvary Christian School is to instill in our youth the mind of Christ. The way that people phrase it today is to come up so that they have a biblical worldview. There are many Christians who don't think about the world biblically, nor do they think about their life biblically. And so what the Apostle is trying to help us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here today is that we would think and live biblically because Jesus Christ is our example. So what would the mind of Christ be on certain things? That's what we need to value. These need to become our thoughts. Okay. That's brainwashing. Absolutely. All right. The Word of God in Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, uh, read the Bible to your wife, wash them with the water of the Word, and cleanse her with the washing of the water. Um, so your mind is going to be washed either with clean water or filthy water. And today, let's concentrate on the pure living water of the Word of God. Amen? And let that mind be in us, that mind that was in Christ Jesus. So this is an imperative command. Keep on thinking this way. And that's what the Apostle is saying. So, yes, Jesus Christ wants to control your mind. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Think on these things. So he wants to instill in you the mind of Christ. Um, but did you know that this is what we look at today in verses 5 through 11 uh, might be actually part of a, a first century Christian church hymn? All right? Maybe the song was entitled, Let This Mind Be In You. All right? We don't know. Um, but they think that it is a reference to a particular hymn that was sung in the first century. And so uh, it has really two parts to it. The first part of the hymn um, focuses upon um, the hymn to Christ. Um, here in verses 6 through 8, uh, the humility of Christ. And then 9 through 11, the exaltation of Christ. So the humility and the exaltation of Christ. So keep on thinking this way. Well, what is the mind that we're supposed to be thinking about? Well, it's, it's a, an approach to life. It's a way of thinking of life of humility. In the book of Philippians, uh, there is this theme of unity. It's, it's a sub-theme in the book. Um, but there can really be no unity in a church if the individual believers in that church don't have the mind of Jesus. So think of this as good not only for your church, but good for your marriage, 
your relationship with your kids, uh, your relationship with your parents, uh, just good for life. This is how God wants us to live life. This is the way we're supposed to live. And so he urges humility upon the Philippians as the only way to secure uh, unity in their church. Now, uh, to value the attitudes of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Let's start out by just going back to verse 3 in the chapter that we're in. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. All right. So I know this is the first point might be a little hard for you to see. Um, but you can let the mind of Christ be in you by internalizing the attitude of Christ in our thinking. All right. So how many of you can actually read that? All right. Good. You've got a good set of eyes. I went to the eye doctor this week and um, got a good report. So. Um, but it's a little small for me yet, but I can just barely make it out. But I have underlined these two words, okay? Internalizing the attitude. So let the attitude of Jesus Christ be in your heart, in your affections. And so we see here in verse 3, one of the things that should be in our attitude is let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. And so this is really going to be our application for this point. Keep on thinking that other people are better than yourself. Okay? Because if you think that you're better than someone else, you've got a pride issue. That's what vainglory is in verse 3. Right? So the mind of Christ, when Jesus was here... He actually lived this way. Think about that for a moment. The God of glory, adored by angels, who would blush to be in his presence, came to this earth and thought that sinful human beings were better than himself? All right? We know that he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so this is an amazing thought, is that every person you look at, you think, that person is better than me. I'll tell you, sometimes the Lord has really humbled me. I remember years ago at a men's retreat, there was a chess tournament, and I love chess, and I thought, I'm going to sign up, and I'm going to clean everybody's plate. And the first game I played, there was this goofy-looking guy, and his glasses were really thick, and I thought, can he even see the chessboard? He put me in checkmate in like five moves. Okay, I learned a little lesson in humility. All right? I thought I was so much better and superior. Well, no, not really. Okay, And um, I had one pastor uh, just encourage and preach a message to all of us at a pastor's meeting. You know, He says, guys, not all of you can be the world-famous pastor that's the sports car, 16-cylinder racing engine. He says, Some of you are just going to be the two-cycle lawnmower, you know? And it's like... Okay, that's me, you know. And uh, so we need to look at other people as better than ourselves. And let that mind be in us. Let's go over to Romans chapter 15. So put your bulletin here, ribbon, piece of paper, dog ear, something like that. And uh, Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. 
uh, we're given some practical instruction on how to have relationships with one another in the church. Now the God of patience, and oh, I'm reading in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 15. Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another, according to who? Christ Jesus. That you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God and even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive one another as Christ also received us um, to glory, to the glory of God. Let this mind be in you. Receive one another, um, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, uh, that you be like-minded toward one another. See, that's unity in the church, having the mind of Christ, that we're like-minded toward one another. You know what's so beautiful? Is when you come together on Sunday morning, this is a place for Bible-believing Christians. Amen? Because I guarantee you, if you live life, you're going to see the world's way of thinking. And it can wear on you throughout the week. So the place is a church to come in and get encouragement where people think like you because like you, they're thinking like Christ. And that's the kind of wonderful church to go to. That's what's encouraging when we come together on Sunday morning. Uh, we hold certain things to be true from the Word of God because they are true. And, and that's the mind of Christ that is in us. So be like-minded to one another. Um, let's go over to Hebrews eleven twenty six, And I'll just, you can turn there. I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to paraphrase it and talk you through it. Uh, this is talking about Moses. Uh, when Moses becomes of age, in other words, he has a decision to make how he's going to live his life. And he decides to live in God's camp, to identify with the children of Israel. And this is what Hebrews eleven twenty six says, that he esteemed the reproaches of Christ greater than treasure than all the riches of Egypt. It's better to be ridiculed and mocked and scorned when you're in God's camp than it is to be adored and loved and praised in the world's camp. Moses said, I would rather be rebuked and made fun of because I'm going to live for Christ. Yes, that's exactly what we talked about in Psalm 1 today, wasn't it? Blessed is the man who walketh not in what? The counsel of the ungodly. There's a way of living. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. The friendship went deeper. The counsel was accepted. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Then you become a teacher of that counsel that way of thinking, that worldview that is truly of the flesh, that is of the world. So Moses said, I would rather be ridiculed for Christ than to be the wealthiest prince of Egypt and to be accepted and adored and loved by the ruling class, the prestige of life. And so Moses said, this is the mind of Christ. I'm going to be humble in the way that I live life. And it's better to be in God's camp than in the world's camp. Um, this word esteem means to value. 
It's also used in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 where it says that we're to esteem those who rule over us, meaning the pastors. I know you value me as your pastor. Many of you communicated your prayers to me by text and card. Uh, I got a cute card from Richard and Janine that my Wachamacala, uh, you know, Wachamajigger was uh, fixed, you know, in a certain way and just kept going. And it was just funny, all right? Put a smile on my face and so I'm so appreciative of your prayers and your concerns. But do most pastors, I would say as a profession, is the pastor looked upon with esteem today? No, all right? Now, unfortunately, that's because some pastors have brought that upon the pastor through their immoral conduct and their foolish behavior. But we need to look up to spiritual leaders. We need to look up to our deacons. We need to look up to our Sunday school teachers. We need to look up to our godly mentors in life to esteem them, to value them. And so this is the mind of Christ, is that we value people. And so we internalize the attitude of Christ in our thinking when we think that other people are better than us. You know, when Charles Spurgeon was a pastor, he started out at the age of 19, pastoring the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Um, He didn't have the largest Sunday school class in his church. There was a class of 900 that met on Sunday morning in his church, and he wasn't teaching it. It was a lay woman in the church. You realize that his wife was so sick that for years she couldn't really function in society, so she wasn't even in church. He became so sick that every year he had to go to the Mediterranean coast on the south of France. And his lay people ran that ministry. That ministry was world famous. But they took their infirmed pastor and their infirmed pastor's wife, and today we look at them as these spiritual giants. Well, I guarantee you that Charles Spurgeon looked at his people and said, they're greater than I am. Look what they're doing. Look at the ministry that God has given them. And um, behind every good husband, there's an awesome wife. Ladies, you should say amen. (laughs) All right. You make us so much better than we are. Behind every good pastor, there's an excellent congregation. Praise God. Because other people truly are better off than we are. Now, we see this uh, is really becomes the way of Christ. And so let's go back now to our text in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Being in the form of God. That's a being verb. That's existing as God. That's what that's saying. Jesus Christ existing as God. So this is the mind of God. What would God think like if he were a human being? Like Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is God. In human flesh. And so, in the very form, in the existence of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And, and so, this is an amazing thought here in verse 6 that Jesus of Nazareth pre existed 
He's eternal God. Um, he's identified here as being co-equal with God. Not something that he has to try to reach up to and, and grab Godhood. Okay? Some people say that Jesus Christ became God through his life, his death, and then his resurrection. He finally grabbed deity. No. He was deity who left heaven and lived a perfect human life and gave that life as a substitute for us. It's not something he had to reach out for. He's God. And so this very God then made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So literally, this application, keep on thinking that other people are better than yourself, Jesus Christ came as the lowest caste that he could possibly come. Wasn't the ruling caste. Wasn't the nobility caste. It was the slave-servant caste. Have you ever heard the expression, lower than dirt? Well, that's how low Jesus Christ went in his life. You see, all of us try to retain some dignity in life, right? I mean, come on, I do, right? Um, I demand and expect good customer service, and I get really irritated if I don't get good customer service, right? I get frustrated. And uh, if we're not careful in the flesh, then we can actually become rude and not an example of the believer to the way that we treat people. But you know that clerk in the store might just have five or six people wanting some from, from them at the same time. Maybe their boss told them to do something. Maybe there's a lot of pressure on their life. And here we are thinking we're so much better than they are. But what do you know? You're just stocking shelves. Really? Is that the attitude that we should have? And uh, so we think so many times that we're better. But Jesus came in this lowest form. And so this is the equality with God is not something that he had to strive for. He is equal with God. But yet he came to this lowest state for us. And he truly lived the life where he thought that other people were better than himself. And so, you know what? He just did not assert his rights, okay? And we'll see this in our next point. And so, let's look at this next point now. Let's keep moving. Let's look here. Um, this is our proposition, so let's all say this together. Let this mind be in you. Join me. Let this mind be in you. All right, point number two. All right, you can have the mind of Christ in you by then imitating the actions of Christ in your behaviors. All right, imitate the actions of Christ in your behaviors. Many years ago, my father uh, came to South Carolina to the ministry that we were involved in at the time, Westgate Baptist Church, and um, Janice and I were co-teaching 30 students in 5th and 6th grade. And um, so my dad came at lunchtime. And uh, we, ha we had lunch together and he rubbed his belly. And the students started laughing and they, they cried out loud, He, Mr. Snow, rubs his belly like Mr. Snow. 
All right. So maybe that was just something that I had learned by imitation to pick up, you know, that when you're full and happy, you just rub your belly, all right? Uh, maybe that's why, you know, never mind. But uh, so imitation of the highest form of flattery, right? If we really value and are flattered by Jesus Christ, then we'll want to imitate his behaviors. And so what are the behaviors of Christ? Well, looking at verses 7 and 8, um, we'll see that we surrender our personal rights. So let's look at 7 and 8. But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. What's the last phrase? Even the death of the cross. A couple of things here. Does God have rights? You better believe it. He's the creator, the owner of everything. He has absolute right, exclusive right over your life. But do you know what this wonderful, loving God did for you and me? He surrendered his rights as God. What does that tell us? about arguments with our children, with our bosses, with our spouses, with our brothers and sisters in the Lord. If there's anybody who could claim to have the right to be treated fairly and justly, it would have been Jesus Christ. But you men spit in his face, they pulled his beard out, they whipped his back, they crucified and nailed him to his cross, they ridiculed and rejected him while he was on this earth. But yet he surrendered his rights. And so not only did he come as the lowest form of a human being, but he died in a way that is the most humiliating for any human being to die. The creator was murdered by the creation in an excruciating way of torture and of public humiliation. He surrendered his rights. Years ago, it was told to me, so you think you're a servant? It'll be revealed when you're treated like one, what you really think. When Jesus Christ was treated as a slave, he was a slave even to his father's will. Nevertheless, I'll surrender to you. Whatever your will is, Father, I will do that. And so he died the lowest form of death that every, any human being could ever die. And so when he left heaven, he took upon himself the limitations of his creation, time and space and knowledge and power. Now, he never gave up being God because he told the people of Israel exclusively, I am God. The seven I am statements in the Gospel of John but he never 
lived a way that he exerted his rights over people in a selfish, sinful way. And so, are you your brother's or sister's servant? Are you your spouse's servant? Are you your child's servant? Are you your employer's servant? Can you go that low that you think other people are better than yourselves? Can you surrender your rights? And that's where the rubber comes down and meets the road here. Okay? When we surrender our, what we think are the prerogatives, the things that we're entitled to. Do you think entitlement maybe is a, an American problem these days? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. As Americans, we feel entitled to everything. Shame on us. Shame on us. As Christians, we need the mind of Christ where we don't have this entitled. Notice the contrasts in the words here. Um, We're going to go down through verse 11, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is what? But what is he called in verse 7? Servant. How does he exist in verse 6? in the form or the nature of God. But what is this likeness in verse 7? That of humanity. Jesus Christ lived a 100% human life. So everything that God expects and demands of us, He lived it. I shared with you in Sunday school, if you didn't get to watch Sunday school, go, go back and watch it on YouTube or Facebook. Sermon audio. That's a plug, right? But uh, this is what I shared in, in Sunday school. With every command of God are his enabling and his comforts. He says, don't worry. Well, isn't that just wonderful? Don't worry. How do I stop worrying, God? I always used to tell my kids, quit crying. But my knee. All right. What they really needed was some enabling and comforting. And so God says, don't worry. But then he gives us enablements. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known with thanksgiving. Know that he is near at hand. Know that he loves you. And so, these are interesting contrasts. Lord, servant, nature of God, human likeness. These express the emptying of himself. So maybe another title for the message would be this. Empty yourself. Or maybe put it in the vernacular. Get over yourself. These are some ways that we could look at this. Um, We exist to serve others. We exist to serve others. Mark 10, 45, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Let's go over to 1 Peter chapter 5 and look at verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5.
Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject, what? One to another. And be clothed with what? Humility. For God does what? Resists the proud. But what does he give to those who humble themselves? Grace. What a beautiful thing to receive the grace of God in your life on a daily basis. If you fight against God and retain your pride and your rights, you're going to find that God opposes you. He resists you. You're fighting against a God who you cannot beat. You will not win. But God doesn't want that conflict. You see, that that enmity has already been solved. God has made a way for you to be at peace with him, and that's through Jesus. And come to God the Father through the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be at peace with God. But submit to one another. This is the way that we're supposed to think in the church. So, do the rights of age matter here? No. Do the rights of youth matter here? You don't understand my generation. You can't live my life. You can't even begin to think like me. We're 50 years apart. It doesn't matter to God. Submit to one another. That means place yourself under the other believer. Think that other believers are better than you are. Surrender your rights to them. And so this hymn, if it was sung, think about the doctrinal teaching about the humility that Jesus Christ lived. You know, crucifixion was a form of death that a Roman citizen never experienced. It was one of their rights. No matter how bad you were as a Roman citizen, you could be a mass murderer. You could be the worst Roman citizen that you could possibly be, but you would never have to die by crucifixion. Maybe beheading, but you never had to suffer the agony of crucifixion, nor the ridicule or the public humiliation of crucifixion. But yet Jesus Christ did that for us. And so not only did he submit to die, but he submitted to die by the lowest form of death. All right, our next point is this. Well, here's our proposition again. All right, let's say our proposition. Let this mind be in you. All right, here's the third point. You can have the mind of Christ uh, here as you then begin to uh, initiate the adoration of Christ with your mouth, with your speech, with your lips. Okay? So, Let's turn to the second half of the hymn, and let's look at verses uh, 9 through 11. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2. Now comes the exaltation. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Proverbs chapter 15, uh, verse 33 says, Before honor is humility. Think about that in the workplace. Do you, do you realize that the, the, the slick, smooth business gurus are teaching servant leadership? in the workplace as the way to greatness? Where do you think they stumbled upon that? Okay? That's a universal truth, that the way to really be a great leader is to become a servant in your workplace. Well, before honor is humility. And so Jesus Christ was humbled but he's also now been exalted. God hath highly exalted him. And so this is not the fact that Jesus Christ became God, but that he was restored to the glory that he had with the Father before he came into the world. That's John chapter 17. Imagine overhearing a conversation of angels in heaven. He's back. Did you hear? He's back. Yeah, I did hear that. Man, we worshiped him before. But this is unbelievable. Can you just listen to that angelic conversation? He's exalted because of what he did for you and for me. And every creature is going to bow themselves in his presence. This is why we said earlier, you can't beat God. Your knee is going to bow and your tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. So, the point here that the apostle is making is start doing it now. Years ago, my coach in high school basketball noticed that we were having some problems getting along as a team and teammates, and so he brought a devotional one day, and it basically went like this. You're going to spend eternity together in heaven as brothers in Christ. You might as well get along on the basketball court. Right? And so that mind of Christ needed to be in us on this earth. And we're going to bow to the Lord Jesus then, so we might as well bow now. And so God has graciously given him a name. That's God's grace. Jesus Christ humbled himself, and through the grace of God, the exaltation was given to him. Every angelic power is going to bow. Every human power, every human being is going to bow. Every creature is subject to him and under his authority. There's nothing, this is the broadest possible scope of saying, everything is going to be under his lordship. 
Jesus Christ is Lord, and that brings glory to God the Father because he put himself in the lowest spot. But every, one day, everyone will acknowledge Jesus as Lord. The only question is whether you will do it right now by faith and become part of the family of God. Don't wait until judgment day because God's grace is available to you today when you humble yourself. But he's highly exalted. Now here's the application here. Okay? Bow the knee and praise Christ. I was uh, watching a television program that is in a different language and a different culture. And in their culture, they show their submission to another person by bowing. But there's different forms of bowing. There's this kind of bowing. All right? But then there's the kind of bowing where you get down on all fours and prostrate yourself in front of a person, and that's when you need their forgiveness. Well, we're going to be in that position where we bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. So persons who submit to Jesus' lordship in this life receive grace. And so here we bow the knee and praise with our mouth. Now you're here on a Sunday morning. You were just singing these wonderful songs of adoration. I was glad today to sing from my heart. He is our king. And praise God, you can know him today as your savior. You as a believer can live a radically transformed life by letting this mind be in you. Think that other people are better than yourself. Surrender your rights. And when you do, your behaviors and your speech begin to glorify Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing that we have here today. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And so our conformity to the example of the Lord He is our greatest pattern of humility and in love in his service to man. He humbled himself in suffering and death for us, not only sought aside God's justice, but to set us an example that we might follow in his steps. We can bear that resemblance to his life since we've profited by his death. We're admonished as Christians to follow Christ's examples He left divine glory to become a human being, not for himself, but for others. Life isn't about you. It's about him and others. But secondly, he was willing to die, not because of his own sins, but for ours. Followers of Christ were to emulate these self-giving, self-abasing characteristics of Jesus Christ. We are our brother's keeper because they're in the image and the likeness of God.